0: Beginning on January 1, I encourage everybody to begin your Bible reading for the year. We furnish a Bible guide here that, uh, again, I personally designed, customized several years ago, and it seems to uh, work very well. Most people seem to like it. But uh, whatever guideline you use, uh, just be sure to use one and, and try to be uh, diligent in doing this. But I mention that because if you started off January the first and you're on schedule. Today, by the way, is the last day of January, January 31st, 2021. It's hard to believe we are one month into this new year, isn't it? But anyway, you would have read the entire book of Genesis and the first 12 chapters of Exodus and the first 21 Psalms and the first 21 chapters of Matthew. You'd have all that under your belt. You'd be exactly one-twelfth through the Bible for 2021. So, that's quite an accomplishment. Whenever you do so much a day, it's amazing how much can accumulate, you know, as time goes on. Now, in reading this, in the book of Genesis, and through the first two chapters of Exodus, we have read about a number of people that are all recorded for us in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews over here in the New Testament. Now, the New Testament uh, is much better understood if you have... The Old Testament to go with it, as I've told you before. Uh, sometimes people just read the New Testament, or they might go to the Bible bookstore and just buy a New Testament, but that's an incomplete Bible. Uh, God's Word is 66 books uh, from Genesis to Revelation 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And they complement one another very nicely. In fact, you will not be able to understand some things, as I hope to show you this morning in Hebrews 11, if you do not go back and study. The book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, in some ways, is the most important book in the Bible. It's the book of beginnings. That's what the word Genesis means. It means origin. It means beginning. Uh, You have the beginning of time. You have the beginning of mankind. You have the first man, the first woman, the first husband, the first wife, the first child that's born, uh, the first death, the beginning of the nation of Israel. You have the first marriage. You have the first killing uh, you have the first transgression. The list can go on and on and on of everything in the book of Genesis. It's kind of like a foundation in which the other 65 books rest upon. But as you're reading the book of Genesis, and if you was come over here to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the subject uh, of faith that uh, the writer has under consideration, I hope you can see the importance of the connection. We come over here to the book of Hebrews, again in the New Testament. This was a book written to Hebrew Christians of that day, who were very discouraged in uh, in their profession that they had made concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there's three expressions concerning our profession. It's in the book of Hebrews, it's very important. Hebrews 3.1, uh, the writer tells us, Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. That's our profession, but our profession has an apostle and high priest of it, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 4 and 14, the writer says, seeing then we have a high priest, such a high priest, that is passed into the heavens, let us hold fast our profession. Here we're told that we need to hold fast our profession on the basis that the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He's the only one in the Bible that's referred to as a great high priest. There were priest and high priest, but he's the only one with the expression great high priest. Okay? When we understand that He has passed into the heavens, that should give us encouragement to hold fast our profession. There are a lot of things in life that can work against you from doing that. And these Hebrew Christians, Paul has given them the formula for them to be strong in their profession of faith. And then you come to the 10th chapter in the book of Hebrews, it says, Let us hold fast our profession of faith without wavering, for faithful is He that is promised. That's why we are hold fast our profession of faith without wavering, because he that promised is faithful. He's faithful, all right. So we start in Hebrews chapter 11 with a definition of faith. Hebrews 11:1. Faith is a substance, which means confidence in the ground on which you stand, sub underneath you. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's a the definition of faith. They said for by it the elders received a good report. Now the word elder sometimes can have reference to a New Testament gospel minister. We go by the title of elder. We could use bishop. 1 Timothy 3, 1 says, if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. But we do not use the word reverend. And the reason for that is very simple. If you go to Psalms 111 and verse 9, you'll find where the psalmist said, holy and reverend is his name. That's God's name. Reverend is God's name. So it's not my name. It's way, way, way too holy for me to attach to my name. I can assure you that. That's why we use that name, uh, the name of elder. Sometimes the word elder simply means in reference to older people in the family, uh, to older people in the community, uh, especially in biblical days. But here when it says, for by it the elders received a good report, I believe it has reference to those who lived centuries before Paul wrote this. And these elders received a good report with God because they lived and walked by faith. By it, that is by faith the elders received a good report. Then verse 3 he tells us, by faith we understand that the worlds, however how many they are, the worlds were framed by the Word of God And the things which are seen were not made of those things which do appear. That's another way of saying that God is the Creator God. By faith we understand that the worlds, how many worlds? Who knows? There's the terrestrial world in which we live right here. There's the celestial world that one day we hope to inhabit, do we not? Uh, There's the world of the Jewish people. Uh, There was the world apart from the Jewish people, representing all others. There's the world... Of the righteous and the world of the ungodly. Uh, many, many worlds that's taught in the Word of God. Notice this. Uh, by faith, we understand that the worlds, now that ought that to teach you there that there's more than one type of world that's recorded in the Scripture. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Sometimes we use that word frame in different ways, don't we? We put things in frames, don't we? We put pictures in frames, we put paintings in frames, and we hang them on the wall. Uh, you know, to give it dimension, to uh, separate it, you know, uh, give its own identity. We frame it, and we try to pick an appropriate frame for it. Sometimes we try to frame a certain thing by doing like this, you know, whatever. Uh, That word frame is used in different ways. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Now, what Word of God is that? You think the written Word of God framed the worlds? Of course not. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead. 1 John 5, 7, these three bear record in heaven. There's the Father, and the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. You look in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the things which are seen were not made by those things which do appear. In other words, uh, the things that were made did not come into existence by things that was already in existence, because there was a time when nothing existed. Nothing existed. You go to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created, prior to that nothing existed. Everything in existence has a reason for its existence. Some things exist, or are visible, and some are invisible. We might say a little more about that a little bit later on. So the first three verses tell us something about faith that's very, very important. Oftentimes, verses 2 and 3 get eliminated or overlooked. Let me just put it that way. People like to quote the first verse. It's kind of like hymns. You know, If I was the second verse of a hymn, I wouldn't feel very much appreciated because oftentimes, we'll sing the first and last. Of this hymn, and verse number two, is out. Or maybe the third verse or something, you know. So those middle verses, like middle children, sometimes they feel like they get left out. You know what I mean? If you're a middle child, you know what I mean. Uh, But anyway, um, these first three verses tell us some very important things about faith. Then we start in verse 4. And it says here, By faith Abel." Now before we go any further, what I want to do here this morning is take a look at these different persons and characters in the 11th chapter of Hebrews and see if we can relate to them Because God chose these particular ones, and something they did specifically, okay, for lessons for us today. Some are doctrinal lessons, some are practical lessons. All right, we take a look, first of all, at Abel, all right, Abel, the second child born into this world. The first child born was Cain, Cain and Abel, uh, one of the most well-known, I guess, uh, uh, two brothers that we find in history and so it says, For Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now what does that mean? I, don't, I could not know what that means if I didn't go back and read the fourth chapter of Genesis. You've got to go back and read Genesis chapter 4. And you'll find where Adam knew his wife Eve, and Cain was born. He knew his wife Eve, and Abel was born. And we're told that Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. That's some important information. Then Cain, it came to in the process of time, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. It was an offering of his hands. It was an offering of his work. He was a tiller of the ground. He brought forth the fruit of the ground. What did Abel do? Abel brought the firstling of the flock. That meant he chose the very best, not the last, the first, not the last, the very best. There was a sacrifice made. If he made an offering, the first of the flock, there was a sacrifice, there was an offering, blood was shed, a death took place, this lamb was slain. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Hebrews 9 and 14 says, For the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was offered unto God, not offered unto me, or you, or mankind, it was offered unto God. So, here we have a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, a type of Christ in Abel in the very beginning. Abel was a keeper of sheep. The Lord Jesus Christ not only was the Lamb of God, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the Shepherd of the sheep. John chapter 10, He's the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd here lays down His life for the sheep. Hebrews 13 and 20, He's the Great Shepherd in His resurrection. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, we find Him to be the Chief Shepherd when He shall appear at the last day. So, what are we to learn by this? Uh, What what enabled Abel to know what kind of offering to bring? It wasn't an offering of his hands. It wasn't an offering that represented his works like Cain's was. That's why his offering was more excellent. And the Bible says that God had respect, first of all, to Abel, and then his offering. He had non-respect to Cain, and then his offering. And the order is important here. Notice, before God had respect to Abel's offering, he had respect unto Abel. Before he had disrespect or non-respect for Cain's offering, he had non-respect for Cain. Therefore, he had non-respect for the offering. He had respect for Abel. He had respect to the offering that Abel made here. It was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ himself under consideration. It's a picture of worship. It's an offering. Throughout the book of Hebrews, you find the word offering used repeatedly. Uh, Hebrews 10 and 14, Wherefore, by one offering, the offering of Christ, Wherefore, by one offering he hath perfected, forever them that are sanctified. So he makes an offering to God. It's an act of worship. We're here this morning. Uh, Do we bring a sacrifice this morning? Yes, we do. We don't bring a lamb. Uh, We don't bring an animal sacrifice. Our bodies is a sacrifice. Romans 12, 1, Wherefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, not a slain sacrifice like it was the animal, but a living sacrifice Under God, which is your reasonable service. So we're here bringing an offering to God. Is our offering going to be accepted? See, an offering is made to be accepted or rejected. It was one of the two. Now I do want my offering to be accepted in the sight of God. So that means I have to prepare myself when I come here to bring the offering of my body to sit here in the house of God with God to worship God. Where is my mind? is it on something that was going on this past week, or is it on something I think I'm going to be involved in a week ahead and I'm not even paying attention, uh, then that offering is not going to be accepted. God wants you to give full attention to His Word. And so we all make an offering sacrifice when we come. There's other sacrifice we make, the praise of you know, our lips. If we go over here to the book of Hebrews, tells us about that. But anyway, we see where Abel's offering was more excellent than that of Cain. I couldn't know that if I didn't go back to Genesis chapter 4 and read about it, and study it, and compare the two men and the two offerings. We're told that Abel was slain in 1 John 3.12. He was slain by his brother Cain who was of that wicked one. Now the Lord Jesus Christ was slain with wicked hands, was He not? The Lord Jesus Christ was Persecuted, the Lord Jesus Christ was slain, crucified on the cross, and wicked, in evil hands, took part in that. Just like Cain, being of that wicked one, he slew the righteous one, which is Abel. Now we come to another person. His name is Enoch, and he's interesting for a number of reasons. Enoch was 65 years old when he had Methuselah. Methuselah lived 969 years, the oldest person to ever live on the earth. Adam pushed him at 930. There were several that lived past 900. But we find where uh, Enoch is going to die a young man, only 365 years old. Now, a young man. He was young by comparison to those who lived in that particular day, correct? So what happened? Why Why did he not live past 365? Because God translated him, and God took him to glory. So, in here in Hebrews chapter 11, and you need to go to Genesis chapter 5 to read additional information about Enoch. So, here we find in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 5, he talks about Enoch. And it said, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, for God took him. Translation means to be carried or transported from one place over to another. Now when the Lord comes back in the end of time, there's going to be another translation. There's going to be a resurrection, but also a translation. First Thessalonians 4 and13 through the end of the chapter teaches us that. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught in the air to meet the Lord to meet the Lord in the air, uh, but there's going to be those who shall come out of the grave and those who are alive who shall be translated. And so the resurrected and the translated will be together to be with the Lord in glory. Now, uh, I would, I would, if the Lord just asked me my preference, I'd say, Lord, thou knowest all things, know knowest best, but if it's okay with you, I'll take the translation. <laughs> I'll take the translation, all right? So Enoch, by faith, by faith Enoch was translated, Okay, God translated, but Enoch was translated that he should not die. He, he escaped death. This man, in the early beginning of time, escaped death because God translated when he was 365 years of age. But then we're told something else here. It said before he was translated, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That he pleased God. Okay, now if we go back to Genesis chapter 5, we find the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God. Here are two things about Enoch that's very noteworthy. He walked with God, and then he pleased God. Now, I'm going to say it, tell you, walking with God and pleasing God go hand in hand. You can't walk with God if you don't please God. You don't please God if you don't walk with God. They go hand in hand. You, you can't walk with God without pleasing God. You can't please God without walking with God. So we're talking about something practical. We're talking about fellowship here. So Enoch walked with God. 365 years. And he pleased God. So maybe if I have hopes of being translated, I just need to work on my pleasing God and walking with God, maybe, right? Of course, I don't expect to live to be 365. So maybe I should just focus on walking with God 365 days of a year. I can do that, right? I don't expect to live to be 365. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. I don't expect to live to be 365, but I do know that I can please God. I do know that. And the very next verse tells us something else about faith. Another, another thing to pay attention to. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You cannot please God apart from faith. You cannot do that. Without faith, it's impossible. Not just difficult, not just hard. It's impossible to please God without faith. Enoch pleased God. He walked with God for 365 years. And then God translated him, took him. You go back to Genesis 5, you'll see the wording there is, he was not found. One day he's here, the next day you can't find him. Why? Because he's not here anymore. He's gone on to be with the Lord in glory. He was translated. All right? So we've learned something about worship, and we've learned something about pleasing God. I trust we have, and we learned something about walking with God. You see, when, if you're not walking with God, I can tell you right now who's out of step. <laughs> you don't have to guess about that. God has never been out of step, okay? You know, it's like the, the soldiers are marching along and there's this one fellow and he's, he thinks everybody else is out of step. <laughs> there's a hundred soldiers, here's the one that's not walking with the rest of them, he thinks everybody else is out of step. Well, everybody else is out of step, he's out of step, <laughs> And I think there's a lesson in that for all of us here this morning, right? Sometimes we may think the other person's out of step. We need to take a look inwardly. It might be that we, me, might be out of step. So actually, he talks about uh, Abel and, and then uh, Enoch, he moves down to another very familiar person in the Bible. His name is Noah. And he says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen. Now notice this warned of God of things not yet seen. There's things that has not been seen by Noah, anybody else, that God warns them about. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear. Noah didn't say, well, I appreciate the warning, Lord, and when I see some of these signs, I'll know uh, what you're talking about. No, he just simply believed God. See, I just need to simply believe God's word. I don't have to think, well, Uh, I'm going to add to God's Word what I observe. I'm going to add to God's Word what I experienced. No, I just need to believe the Word of God. I don't have to add my experience to believe God's Word is true. I know God's Word is true, whether my experience uh, seems to line up with it or not. I mean, many years ago, go back, let's just go back, uh, won't go back as many as I could, let's just go back 30. (laughs) Let's go back 30 years. And I read something in the Word of God which I had not yet experienced. Should I not believe it then? as well as now. I've experienced it since then. Should I not have believed it just as strong then as I believe it now? Of course I should. Because I know God is true. I know God's truth personified. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, let God be true and every man a liar. Okay, This is what we run everything through right here. All the words of men through this book right here. That's the litmus test, whether they tell the truth or whether or not. So Noah... Being warned of God of things not yet seen. That's the second time we see the expression not seen. It won't be the last. Of things not seen, moved with fear. That is, he moved with reverence. He moved with reverence and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Now, here's an example. You know, he wasn't talking about a structure. The word house did not mean structure. Did not mean concrete or wood or bricks or whatever. It meant his family. It meant people. He prepared an ark to the saving of his people. God warned him. What was the warning about? It's going to be a flood. Why is it going to be a flood? Because the ungodly and the unrighteous on this earth had caused God to even repent. He had made mankind. That means he just sighed about it. Just like you do sometimes. You see something, you just can't believe it. You go, Sigh. you just can't hardly believe it. You know what I mean? Well, that's what the word means when it is used concerning God, the word Repent. All right, God warns him about a flood. It's never rained on this earth up to that point. The earth was watered with a mist. that came up from the ground. Noah had never seen a raindrop. Now, of course, Abel and Enoch lived before the flood. Noah lives before the flood and after the flood. He and his family, the only ones who lived on both sides of the flood. He lived in the old world. He lived in the new world. And he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. That is, to the delivering of his house. What were they delivered from? They were delivered from the flood. They were delivered from a temporal judgment. That's what you might call time salvation. They were delivered from the judgment of God upon this world. That's what they were delivered from. Heaven's not under consideration whatsoever. He prepared an ark to the saving, to the delivering of his house. And then God bore him witness. You know, he has a testimony. By doing that, he goes on to tell us, for in doing this he condemned the world in which he was living here. So we learn this about Noah. So what, what I take from that for me today, I take from me today is I just need to believe God. I need to believe the Word of God. When God's Word tells me something, I need to believe it. I don't need to try to add something to it or try to figure it out and say, well, you know, I'm not sure about that. I don't comprehend all that. I don't understand all that. No, I just simply need to believe it just like the Apostle Peter did in Luke chapter 5. When the Lord told him to launch out into the deep, and Peter said, Lord, we fished all night and caught nothing, but nevertheless, at your word, we will do it. So Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, he moved with reverence. Then we come to a man named Abraham. Abraham, now we're still in Genesis over here, right? We're in Hebrews, we're in Genesis. You can't understand these things, he's talking about these different people in Hebrews 11 if you don't study what it says about them in Genesis. We're in Genesis four, when it came to Abel. We're in Genesis five, when it come to Enoch. We're in Genesis six, when it come to Noah. What's the first thing said about Noah, by the way, in Genesis chapter six, I believe it's about verse eight. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Those who find grace in the eyes of the Lord are those who God has found by His grace prior to that. So, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Let me get this. Three things about Noah that we don't understand. He was a just man, he was perfect in his generations, okay? And he'd done something Enoch did he walked with God. So, here's a man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did he find grace? Because he was just. All right? Because he was perfect, that is, mature, not sinless, but perfect and mature and complete in his generation. And he walked with God. Therefore Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God delivered Noah and his family from the judgment of this flood that came just like God said that it would. So now where are we going to go in Genesis? We're going to go to chapter 12 in Genesis. Here's where Abraham first comes to our attention by the name of Abraham. Now he's actually mentioned uh in the last few verses of chapter 11, but mainly we get to his life in chapter 12. He's not known as Abraham at this point, but he's known as Abram, same man, of course. It says, by faith, go back to Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a country which he had not yet seen, he obeyed. All right. How long did it take Abraham to obey God's call? Well, according to Genesis chapter 12, he did it immediately he didn't me. He was living in a land called Ur of the Chaldees, which was filled with idolatry. And God calls him out of that land of idolatry to go to a land he will show him that Abraham has never been to. Never been to. There's a lot of places I had not been to, but there's a few places I've been to that if God wanted me to go there, I'd say, yes, Lord, I'm ready to roll. <laughs> there's a few places I'd say, Lord, are you really sure about this? It's like when I went through Chicago one time. Uh, I went uh, to a meeting above Chicago, Wisconsin. And so we went around Chicago going up. Coming back on Saturday beside, we just come through Chicago. So we go through Chicago. We get on the other side of Chicago. Somebody says, "What did you like about Chicago the best?" when I saw it in my rearview mirror?" Well, I looked up and it was behind me. I got through it miraculously. And it's behind me. That's the best thing I saw about Chicago. Okay? All right. Anyway, he, <laughs> God called Abram out of the land of the earth of the child to go to a land he would show him and Abraham, by faith, obeyed. Now, he called him out of the land. He called him away from his country, called away from his kindred, called away from his family. Abraham didn't 100% obey all that. Now, we can't we go into all those Those uh, lessons here this morning. But Abraham comes down to the land of Canaan. The Bible says he sojourned in a land, in the land of promise, which was a strange land. Why is it called the land of promise? Because God made the promise to give the land to Abraham and his seed. It's called the land of promise from that point of view. It's also called the land of promise because God promised many blessings to come upon His people in that land. And God made a great promise when He promised that the seed of Abraham, through His seed, all the nations of the earth was going to be blessed. So there, there's the promised land. There's the promised blessings. There's the promised seed in the land of Canaan. And so He comes into the land of Canaan and He sojourns there as in a strange land because that's not where He was born That's not where he grew up. That's not where he lived. The Lord called him out and into. Okay, the Bible says he knew knew not whither he went. Now these are real important expressions. He knew not whither he went. Can you relate to that? I, I think I can. I've had some experiences along the way that I wasn't sure whither I went. I felt like I was heading in the right direction. Felt like I was doing what God wanted me to do, but I didn't know whither I went. I remember 1979, I loaded my two-door pickup at the time, Ford truck didn't have ca- uh, you know, extended cabs and you know four-doors and all that back then. I loaded up. It's all loaded up with everything you can put on it in the back. Then loaded up a semi-truck of furniture and stuff to head down from North Carolina to Florida, where I agreed to go and pastor a little union church, 600 and some miles away. And I remember very clearly going down the interstate just like it happened yesterday. And in the cab of that truck is me under the wheel. Here's my son, Dave, my oldest, five years old. Here's the next son, Timothy, at three. Here's the next one, Mark, three months old in his mother's arm, all five of us in the cab of the truck, no seat belts on, no car seats. Didn't have to have them back yet, 1979. I give you enough information every once in a while that makes it more difficult for me to convince you that I'm in the young man territory. <laughs> I ain't category, but anyway, you don't have to do much figuring about that. And we're going down the interstate, and I know where I'm going, and yet, I, like Abraham, I'm not sure I do. You know what I mean? I'm not really sure I do. A similar experience was when I left there to come up here. Won't go into that this morning. But anyway, Abraham not knowing whither he went, but he went by faith. He went by faith. Faith enables us to see the unseen, in other words. And all these people, God put them in the 11th chapter of Hebrews to teach us a lesson and also to encourage the Christian Hebrews of that particular day. Okay, now, it says he dwelt in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. Tabernacle represents something temporary. Well, what, we're, what are we told in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1? It says, For we know if this earthly house or this tabernacle will be dissolved. We're all just temporaries here. That's not flattering, I know, but that's what we are. We're just temporaries, right? You know, you know maybe you get a job, and you might get a job as a temporary. Well, you're hoping that you become permanent. Uh, we are temporaries here, but thank God I know we're all permanent in the eyes of God and going to be permanent with Him one sweet day, that's for sure. Right now we're temporary, we're dwelling in tabernacles made with uh, God's hands, but if this earthly house this tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens above. So that's Abraham's life right now. He's dwelling in tabernacles, along with Isaac, along with Jacob. And then we find Sarah comes to our attention. Next one on the list is Sarah, Abraham's wife. By faith Sarah received strength to conceive seed and delivered of child when she was past age. Now as I get in this, I want you to see something here between Sarah and Abraham. How many experiences they had that centered around death? That involved death? Alright? By faith she conceived seed and was delivered of child when she was past age. That just simply means she was too old to have a child. She was past age. But even of him says, There spring one, even as good as dead, of whom flourished into multitudes like the sand of the seashore and the stars of heaven. If you go to the book of Romans chapter 4, begin reading in verse 19, it'll tell you that Abraham, being not weak in faith, which means he was strong in faith, when he considered not his own body, which was dead. Here's the word dead. Past age, dead. Nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, Sarah's womb was a dead womb. Abraham's body was a dead body when it comes to the ability to bring forth children into this world. God's dealing with dead people, so to speak, to bring forth something alive, something living. That's how Isaac made his entrance into this world. Through a, from a dead womb, from a dead body. All right, by faith through faith, rather, The first time you see the expression through faith, through faith, you're going to find where Sarah received straight to conceive and be delivered of a child when she was past age. But she judged him faithful who had promised. Now I need to go back to the book of Genesis again, do I not? And read of these experiences that Abraham and Sarah had when God came to Abraham first and then to Sarah and told them at a certain time, a, you know, she was going to bring forth a son and his name was going to be called Isaac. He was the promised child. He was the promised son. Here's the name given. His name was Isaac. God give all that to him, And if I just read how Sarah reacted over there when she laughed behind the door, I might not have a full picture of Sarah. But I come over here to Hebrews chapter 11 and I find something very important about Sarah. By faith she received strength to conceive seed and be delivered of child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised and therefore even of one of him who was dead, Abraham. There sprang from him a multitude like the sand of the seashore, and the stars of heaven. You got Isaac, you got Jacob, you got the twelve sons of Jacob, and you got their sons and 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 then their offspring and so forth and so on. To finally, the Jewish nation became a people that was like in number like the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. Now, verses 13 through 16 are very important. I want to hop over them just for a moment. I'm going to go back to it. And we come down here, Abraham comes back into focus. It says, Abraham, by faith Abraham offered his son Isaac. All right, by faith Abraham offered his son Isaac. uh, And Isaac was of the promised seed, his only begotten son, whom it is written, through Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting, that God was able to raise him from the dead. Now the word accounting is used here. The only time in the Bible the word accounting is used. When you think of an accounting office, what do you think about it? Think about a CPA, right? What's a CPA do? He does a lot of accounting. First job I had when I graduated from college was that of a statistician. And so that's just always, uh, I did a lot of accounting. You know, and I was in the department of uh, uh, where they, uh, of H-E-W, Depa- uh, Center for Health Statistics, and we kept statistics on marriages, divorces, births, and deaths. So I was a statistician. And I've always kind of uh, had a, uh, you know, thing for that. You know, I, I got my first checkbook, first check count when I was 16. And I've balance my a book every month since then. I've never been out a penny. Not one time. That may happen before it's over with, but so far, I've got an unblemished record. <laughs> if I play golf, when I get through, if somebody forgot to put the score on the scorecard, I can go back and tell you exactly what I had on every hole. And not only me, but I can tell you what everybody else had in the group too. And they said, what did I have on the last if you had an eight? You sure wouldn't have said, no, it was an eight. Remember that one in the woods? You know, but anyway. <laughs> accounting, that God was able to raise him from the dead. The word accounting also means inventory. In other words, Abraham accounting. Abraham took inventory. It's important for me to take inventory on a pretty regular basis. This so is my father was to take inventory. Now, who likes to take inventory, right? If you work for a company... And you know, they say, okay, uh, next two days we got to do inventory. Everybody just shouts, don't they? No, they moan and groan. Who wants to do inventory at tedious work? Count, 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 count. Got to count everything, you know, count everything so you're going to count for everything. Who likes that? But in this case here, it's important. You take inventory, Abraham did. You know what Abraham took inventory about? He said, if God can bring Isaac from the dead, which he already had, he brought him from a dead womb, he brought him from a dead body. If God's able to bring forth this son, Isaac, when my body was dead, the womb when my my wife was dead, I was 100 years old and she was 90, he can raise him from the dead. He's already done it once. Accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead. That's why I want you to notice a while ago how much by faith Abraham and Sarah centered around death. He then comes to Isaac. Very little said about Isaac here. Look how much was said about Abraham, but Isaac's still here. It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Go back to Genesis 27th chapter of Genesis. That's when God, first of all, blessed Jacob. Remember that? Of course, Jacob deceived his father, making him think he was Esau. And then he, after he blessed Jacob, he blessed uh, Esau. But go back and read those blessings. Go back and compare those two sets of blessings where you're going to find where uh, Jacob, he blessed Jacob first, then he blessed Esau. You'll see that Esau's blessings were all temporal. But you look at the blessings he put upon Jacob. Some of them were temporal and some of them were Spiritual. And by faith he did that. Even though he was blessing the wrong man in his own mind, he blessed by faith believing what he said about these two boys was going to come to pass, and it did. Then he says, Jacob, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I know I say that a lot, and I've got a lot of favorite verses, but I'm glad I do. (laughs) This is one of my favorites right here. He said, by faith, Jacob, when he was a dying Blessed both the sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. Those are two names Joseph gave his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, because one means God has made me forget my affliction, and the other means God has made me fruitful. That's how Joseph dealt with his afflictions down in the land of Egypt. By faith, when Jacob was dying. Now notice here, of all the, Jacob lived 147 years. 147 years Jacob lived upon the face of this earth and yet God reaches back to the last couple of days of his life to give us an illustration of his faith. You go back and read the last part. Um, read Genesis 47 and then Genesis 48. We're still in Genesis explaining everything in Hebrews 11, right? Okay, when he was a dying, he blessed both the sons of Jacob, uh, Joseph, excuse me, his grandsons. And then it says, and he worshiped leaning upon his staff. What's that a picture? It's a picture of physical weakness. It's a picture of the weariness of life, of weakness of body. And yet, at 147 years of age, weak in body, what does Jacob do? He's, he's still wanting to worship God. He's still got his mind on worship. God has been so good to him. In that chapter he tells, God has fed me all the days of my life. And the angel of God delivered me from all evil. And him, when God brought me down here, I thought I might get to see your face. But now I've not only seen your face, I've seen the face of your two children, which are my two grandsons. I'd say that ought to motivate anybody to worship. That's why I'm here this morning. I know that's why you're here this morning. So get the picture in your mind. He's leaning upon his staff, worshiping God. And then it says, By faith, Joseph. By faith, Joseph. What is God going to give us about Joseph? Oh, if God said, I want you to pin something down. Uh, about Joseph I'm putting Hebrews chapter 11. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? But if God did ask me that, I could think of a lot of things except what God put down. It said, when Joseph died, go to Genesis 50. When Joseph died, he made mention to the children of Israel about God, about their departing, of God bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And also, when he did, to take his bones with them. Joseph, second command to Pharaoh. If Joseph had wanted to be buried in Egypt, he'd have been buried with honors. He was esteemed as high as any man in, in Egypt's history. And he knew it'd be a while before God would deliver his people. He knew there'd be no flesh on his uh, his body basically outside the bones would be God but his bones would be there and he wanted them to take his bones out of there which Moses did when they came out of the land of Egypt and you come to the 24th chapter of the book of Joshua and you'll find that's where Moses uh, where Joseph's bones were buried so they did exactly what Joseph asked him and he did that by faith Joseph believed God would come and visit his people and deliver them out of the land of Egypt and God did just like he told his great grandfather Abraham And then it says, and by faith, Moses. Moses comes to our attention in the second chapter of Exodus when he's born. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that he was was hid for three months. This baby was hid for three months by his parents, which showed some faith on their behalf, by his parents because they saw he was a proper child. I don't really know exactly what that means, except the fact it had to be something out of the ordinary, something exceptional about this baby for them to, to recognize that. And it says he hid him for three months, and then they put him in ark of bulrushes and put him down there in the, in the, in the, in the uh, Nile River. It says, for they feared not the wrath of the king. In other words, God gave them the courage to rise above the commandment of, of Pharaoh when he gave the commandment that every male child was to be drowned in, in the sea. And by faith, notice this thing's about Moses. By, Mo, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, for me to understand that, I got to go back to Exodus chapter 2 and read how he became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember how that happened? Pharaoh goes, Pharaoh's daughter goes down to the river. She hears a baby cry. She has her attendants to investigate it to check it out. They check it out. They find an ark of bulrushes down there in the river. Here's Moses, three months old. All she's got to do is say, that's one of the male Hebrew children. Drown it right now. But the baby wept. In the tear of this child reached into the heart of Pharaoh's daughter and she had compassion on it. Had compassion on it. And beside Pharaoh's daughter is his sister of all people. And she says to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I fetch one of the Hebrew women to nurse it for you? She says, yes, go and fetch her. And she goes and fetches Moses' mother. And Moses' mother comes and Pharaoh's daughter does not know it's Moses' mother. And she says, you nurse this child and I'll give you wages for it. And Moses grew up and he grew up in the palace, my friends, of Pharaoh's daughter. But he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God, then enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. I can assure you there was a lot of pleasure sin going on in Egypt. There's a lot of pleasure sin going on there in Pharaoh's court. But Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He gave up the title. He, he was in line to be the next king in Egypt. And he gave it up. He refused because be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing brother. What, here's what he refused, here's what he chose. And brothers and sisters, this morning, if we're going to walk hand in hand with Jesus, if we're going to please God, if we're going to walk with him, there's things we must refuse here in this world and other things we must choose. He refused to called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to serve for affliction. Who wants Affliction. Choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He chose this over all the treasures in Egypt. Moses was a well-thought-of man in Egypt. You go back and read in the book of Exodus, um, I believe it's about 11:4, right in there, and you will find where the Bible says that Moses was great in the land of Egypt with Pharaoh's servants. And all the people. He was esteemed far higher than Pharaoh was. And all the riches of Pharaoh, of Egypt, all the treasures of Egypt, were right there in the palm of his hand. But he saw something far more valuable than that. It says, the next thing, he says, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and he endured as seeing him who was invisible. The word endure literally means to persevere. He endured how? As seeing him that was invisible. How am I going to endure? How are you going to endure? You know, I've I've actually forgot to make a comment on our, our verse for the day on the prayer list, right? It's found in the book of Deuteronomy over there. It says, for God For the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. It's the only place in the the Old Testament where the word eternal is used in front of God. The eternal God is what? He's your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms of the Lord. (laughs) The Lord, I don't care how low you go, God's arms will get a little bit lower. (laughs) I don't care how low you may be in the in the valley of despair. I'm telling you, the everlasting arms of Jesus can go a little lower than that and bring you up out of that. He can bring uh, the beggar out, out, of, out of the out of the pit like he did Joseph, or like he did David when he said in Psalms 40, I oh, waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry, brought me out of the harbor pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings and put a new song in my mouth. The eternal God is thy refuge. I need a refuge every day. The eternal God is there. (laughs) So he endured as seeing him that is invisible. How can you see the invisible? With the eye of faith. That's how you see it. He endured as seeing him that's invisible. You ever thought about why that word invisible is attached to God like it is? You go to 1 Timothy 1.17... He said now unto the God who is eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, because every other God that's ever been is visible, Not God. God is invisible except to the eye of faith. Every other God that's ever been, every God you've ever had in your life, you could see it. And probably the God that's giving you the most trouble over time, what would you say that would be? I'd say it's yourself. When you looked in the mirror, (laughs) I looked in the mirror this morning, I thought, man, I got to make some changes. (laughs) I got to make some outward change. And when I looked in the mirror of my heart, I said, Lord, I got to make some changes before I get to the house of God. How about you? Am I the only one going to confess here this morning? (laughs) I can give you the opportunity if you want to. Just raise your hand. We'll all hang around. <laughs> It'd be pretty interesting, I'm sure. It'd be worth your time. You know, sometimes some things are just so bad they're good. He endured as seeing him who was invisible, and by faith he took the blood of the lamb and put it on the side post and the lintel. He kept the fast Passover by faith. So when God came through at midnight, he passed over. The where the blood was. Then it says, and through faith they crossed the Red Sea. That brings you to Exodus chapter 14. You're two chapters short of that. You'll get it tomorrow. You'll get 13, 14, and 15 tomorrow. Okay? Pretty interesting to me how every single character I spoke to you about this morning is found, all found in the book of Genesis, except for Moses, which is two chapters later in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Without a knowledge of Genesis, a lot I read about in Hebrews 11 not going to make a whole lot of sense. When I go back and see what the writer's talking about in Genesis, it all unfolds right before you, right? Thank you so much for your wonderful attention this morning.